Welcome to our podcast series called Five Questions, Five Answers, in which we explore a few very important and recent U.S. trade policies affecting thousands of companies. But we have one goal in mind. We want to help you translate the legal into real-world business strategies. It's that simple. My name is Bridget Matisson, and I'm the director of North American Manufacturing here at Aaron Fox in Washington, D.C. Let's start. You're importing goods into the United States. They're suspected of being made with forced labor. That's the topic today. Your company is an importer of a finished good or a subassembly or even a part. But do you know how it was made and by whom? And where? If the answer is no, this podcast is for you, and here's why. U.S. Customs and Border Protection, with input from Congress and the White House, has been tasked with making sure that goods imported into the United States are not manufactured in foreign plants using forced labor. It's a very hot topic these days. While China is a particular focus of this administration, other regions and other producers around the world are also under that microscope. So what happens at the border when a shipment is suspected of originating in these regions? What are companies supposed to know, and what do they need to do? Joining me are two expert colleagues, Angela Santos and Christine Hintz, two of the key members of the Aaron Fox Forced Labor Task Force. Yes, we have a task force. And so let me turn it first to you, Angela. So we keep hearing about forced labor in the news and how it's affecting companies in the United States. Tell us, you're close to it. What is happening? What kind of products are at issue? And by the way, is there a de minimis exception? Thank you, Bridget. I'm thrilled to be a guest on your podcast again, this time to discuss forced labor, a very important topic that is impacting many U.S. supply chains. Forced labor is essentially modern-day slavery, and to me, it's shocking to hear that these human rights violations are occurring in this day and age. But at least the United States has taken the lead globally in advocating against forced labor. Specifically, the United States bans the importation of goods produced with forced labor. When U.S. Customs and Border Protection, which is the agency tasked with enforcing these restrictions, suspects that goods are produced with forced labor, they'll issue what's called a Withhold Release Order, or a WRO. That WRO will cover certain products from a specified region or producer and authorizes customs to detain all goods covered by the WRO unless the importer can prove that they weren't produced with forced labor. And as you asked about de minimis, there is no de minimis. Even if shipments have 0.005% problematic material, they can and have been detained by customs. So most recently, the focus of many of the WROs and detentions have been in the Xinjiang region of China, where the Uyghur population and other minorities have been persecuted and forced to work in government factories. You've probably heard about it in the news. The NBA players are talking about it. Different companies are talking about it. The U.S. has called what is happening in that region genocide. And the Biden administration and several U.S. agencies have strongly warned U.S. companies of the risk of doing business in that region. As you would expect, a couple of the Xinjiang-related WROs have resulted in many of the detentions, and they're particularly challenging for U.S. companies 
because they rely on these products for their supply chains. The first is a WRO that was issued in January on cotton products from the Xinjiang region. Many people may not know, but Xinjiang produces 20% of the world's cotton and 80% of cotton for products made in China. The second important WRO is that issued on polysilicon produced by Hoshin Silicon Industry, also located in Xinjiang. Hoshin produces much of the polysilicon for the world's largest solar panel makers, including those solar panels that are coming into the United States. And the problem with these is that the supply chains in these industries are deep, they're intertwined, and they're opaque, which makes it very difficult for U.S. companies to trace raw materials and determine whether their goods are subject to the WRO and are banned. So that can be a huge problem. Now, you asked what kind of products are subject to the WRO. What, what kind of products are banned? Not only the polysilicon and the cotton that we discussed, but a, a large variety of other products. And there's a list on Customs' website that you can check to identify whether your goods are covered. It includes food, electronics, tools, tobacco, gold, fish, many more other products. U.S. importers should check that page to make sure their goods aren't banned. And the last thing I'd have to say to respond to this question is that companies should be aware that Customs is ramping up enforcement in this space. Just a couple of years ago, this wasn't a huge issue, even though it was on the books or this rule was on the books. In 2019, Customs only detained 12 shipments for forced labor concerns, and they were only worth $1.2 million. In contrast, in fiscal year 2021, it's been reported that Customs detained over 1,400 shipments covering nearly half a billion dollars worth of merchandise. We're going to see huge supply chain issues because this is going to prevent companies from stocking shelves and meeting contract obligations. So, Christine, then, how does customs know that forced labor is used to produce these goods and whether or not to issue a WRO? Is China the only country targeted with these withhold release orders? How about goods, for example, from China or elsewhere that are suspected of using forced labor but are transshipped to the United States via a third country, say Mexico or Canada? How does that work? That's a good question. You know, I'm so happy to be here today to discuss a topic that is very timely. You know, in terms of how customs may find out that forced labor is being used to produce goods, it gathers information regarding allegations of forced labor from a wide variety of sources, including allegations submitted to an anonymous e-allegations address, individuals from other countries, from U.S. agencies, and from the public-private sector, including non-governmental organizations and community service organizations. So based on these sources, Customs only needs a reasonable suspicion that forced labor is used before they may issue a WRO. In researching allegations of forced labor and establishing the reasonable suspicion, Customs uses the International Labor Organization indicators of forced labor. So these indicators represent the most common signs or otherwise clues that point to the possible existence of a forced labor issue. They include 
the isolation of individuals in these labor conditions, physical and sexual violence, restriction of movement, withholding wages, deception, excessive overtime, debt bondage, intimidation and threats, abuse of vulnerability, abuse of working and living conditions, and retention of identity documents. So if Customs sees that any of these indicators are present in manufacturer plan or within a region like, you know, many manufacturers in Jinjing, then they may have reasonable suspicion to issue a WRO. With respect to targeted countries, WROs are not limited to China, although in most recent years, they represent the largest proportion of WROs that were issued. Angela mentioned some products that are covered by WROs. Customs has also issued WROs that are specific to suppliers or even regions of a country, such as Xinjiang region. So these WROs might cover a wide variety of products. Also recently, several glove manufacturers in Malaysia have been accused of using forced labor and are the subject of WROs. This is particularly problematic given the critical need for PPE these days, considering COVID and all of the recent health issues. So CBP has recently announced the formation of a second forced labor division that will focus on forced labor allegations outside of Asia, including in Latin America, the Middle East, and Africa. So you can expect more WROs issued for products or products containing raw materials that originate in those regions. I would also caution that merchandise that is covered by a WRO and is subsequently transshipped to another country before being shipped to the U.S. is still subject to a WRO. An importer may be subject to criminal action if it attempts to avoid a WRO by transshipping merchandise through a third country. Additionally, the importer's goods will be detained regardless of the country the merchandise is shipped from, if it meets the terms of the WRO. I think that pretty much covers that question. Angela, back to you. If these WROs are being issued to companies at the border or at time of entry. What should a company do if a shipment has been detained? Is there an appeal process? Yes, all is not lost if you get detention notice, although appealing it is a long, expensive, and often frustrating process for many companies. There is a process where the importer can submit requisite certification that states that forced labor was not used to produce the goods. The importer will also need to present documentation for the entire supply chain down to the level that the WRO was issued to, to illustrate that forced labor was not used. So for example, if it's a WRO to the cotton level, you have to show all the documentation through to the cotton tier of the purchase to show that forced labor wasn't used. So this will mean transaction records at each tier, the purchase orders, invoices, payment records, shipping records, and affidavits that certify that goods are not produced with forced labor. Customs, as I was talking about for cotton, has even requested wage records for cotton pickers. As you can imagine, collecting this documentation is a huge undertaking because most retailers don't have access to these documents. We're also exploring some tracing technologies that may help with some of this, but many of them are in the early stages and Customs isn't accepting them all. So this is something in the future that might be helpful, but isn't so helpful for companies right now. Now, while an importer has three months to compile and submit all of this documentation, which is a lot to do in three months, it can take the customs many more months to review this documentation. I've heard that some shipments have been detained since last February. Now, if customs decides you haven't proven the forced labor wasn't used, it will exclude the shipment. You then have the ability to protest that decision. But if the protest is denied, you have to go to court to challenge it.
Sounds to me like importer beware. Christine, moving forward, this doesn't seem like an issue that is standalone. What's happening on this front in Congress and what are the legislators saying? Right. So this is not just an issue that Customs is worried about, but Congress is also considering various bills that are pending currently. And, you know, if passed, they're geared towards the greater enforcement against forced labor. And there's bipartisan support for most of these bills. So I think we should see some action legislatively pretty soon. The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act was already passed by the Senate and is likely to be passed by the House as well. And this bill would create a rebuttable presumption that goods made in the Xinjiang region are made with forced labor and will thus be banned from importation. If passed, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act would essentially authorize customs to detain all shipments of goods made in the Xinjiang region without issuing a WRO. There is also a House version of the bill that is even more stringent and includes an SEC reporting requirement. There are a couple of other bills that have a USMCA element and would require the U.S. to coordinate with Mexico and Canada to ban the importation of goods with forced labor. Many of the bills also provide for sanctions. We are closely tracking this legislation. Given the impact it will have on many U.S. importers, this is a topic that is moving quickly and there will be many updates to come. So it will be interesting. Moving quickly with such great impact. So, Angela, you get the last word on this. My question is the obvious. I think most listeners want to ask you, so what can a company do to prepare and ensure that forced labor is not used in their supply chain to produce their goods that they buy? Sure. Companies can take proactive measures to ensure that forced labor is not used in their supply chains. They should ensure that they have robust forced labor procedures in place and that they conduct supply chain due diligence. This involves codes of conduct for their employees and suppliers that ban the use of forced labor, language in their contracts and purchase orders prohibiting the use of forced labor, and most importantly, companies should evaluate their entire supply chain to ensure that there are no problematic suppliers in any tier. Finally, companies that import high-risk commodities, say cotton t-shirts from China or cotton t-shirts from Xinjiang, should consider collecting transaction documentation, including purchase orders, payment records, shipping documents, manufacturers' affidavits that certify the materials and goods are not produced with forced labor. So it can be a lot, but there are measures that importers or companies can take to review their supply chain so that they can minimize risk. And to help with that, we launched the Aaron Fox Forced Labor Task Force that you mentioned earlier, Bridget. We compiled a team of experts to help companies with this process to navigate the fast-changing forced labor developments and avoid all the headaches that come along with forced labor detentions or seizures. How time flies and our time today is unfortunately up. But I know that there are probably many more questions out there that people would like to ask the two of you. The conversation we just covered is only one area of compliance with very complicated set of U.S. trade rules, which govern the entry into the United States from such a vast global supply chain. It seems that there is so much more compliance burden on the individual company and that penalties are just so much more intrusive. And so for these reasons, our podcasts are designed to help you, the listener, stay abreast of these changes from Washington and to understand how these will affect your cross-border operations and, in fact, your cross-border bottom line. 
We can also help. Give Angela or Christina ring. Check out our forced labor website at erinfox.com and search forced labor. Smart in your world. For us, it's not simply a tagline. I'd like to thank Angela and Christine, and more importantly, I'd like to thank you, the listeners.